music is is not necessarily you don't have to be a professional you don't have to be a rock star you don't have to be famous you should be doing this because it makes you happy or it's filling in some you know it's filling in something that you need to fill with doing music or making art and getting away from those evaluations of am i famous enough am i successful enough are enough people listening to me like that's going to come if you keep working at it if you're taking time it's you gotta if you stay focused on the importance of doing the work that stuff will come in the long run Welcome back to the Director Vibe Podcast. I'm your host and Director of Vibes, Leslie Schultz. Today's episode features the incredibly talented artist Jimbo Scott. His songwriting style is an incredible fusion of Americana folk music with roots, gospel, rock, and soul. He released a brand new album titled Where the Heart Is back in September of 2019, and I'll be sharing a few of those songs from that album throughout this episode. I was introduced to Jimbo from a mutual friend of ours and was so excited to be able to host him at this past summer's Live at Lakeview Summer Music Series in South Lake Tahoe. He captivated the crowd with his music and stage presence, and honestly, his overall vibe really made me want to get to know him better and share his story with you. I love the way he infuses personal experiences into his music and really brings the listener into each song. I hope you enjoy getting to know him as much as I did. Let's dive right into the good vibes. I grew up in Oakland, California, um, but I'm from Memphis, which like both places are super rich in music mm-hmm. and um, and have like really, really deep roots in all different kinds of music. Yeah. Um, and I think that was very heavily like reflected in my house and the fact that I was, I had the opportunity to get exposed to all different kinds of things. And the truth is like in terms of singing, like there isn't a time that I can remember when I wasn't singing. And if you ask my mother, she'll tell you that I actually was singing before I was talking. Um, I love that. She doesn't remember my first words because it like started with me like singing along with jingles. <laughs> and then eventually that turned into me singing the lyrics. And then suddenly I was speaking in sentences. And so um, pretty <laughs> That's an amazing progression. There. Yeah. <laughs> I think song has always come so naturally to me and um, it's like, I feel better when I sing. And so why not do the thing that makes me feel good all the time? Um, and it's fun to make up little nonsense songs about everything from, you know, doing the dishes to taking a walk down the street or whatever. Like if yes. it makes what you're doing feel better, might as well sing it. So singing's always been there. Um, and then when I was really little, I mean, I, I got kind of exposure in various instruments. I, I tried my hand at the violin for a little while. Um, I learned how to play like hand drums and like do like Afro-Cuban style music and that kind of thing. I, I was really lucky in having um, music teachers growing up who um, got a lot of different instruments in my hands and, and again, got me playing different styles of music. Um, I was in chorus and that kind of thing. Um, But in terms of kind of like my main tools these days, you know, I play guitar and I sing. The guitar came along because I was, it's actually kind of a function of boredom. I was at summer camp and I was looking for something to do. And a counselor put a guitar in my hand and was like, occupy yourself. (laughs) Um, And 23 years later, here I am still very well (laughs) occupied. Great. but it was great because I think I had always, you know, in, in so much as I had been kind of making up little songs here and there about things like I was making up silly songs, but I was also thinking about, you know, things that were a little bit, you know, near and dear to me. And I was an angsty teenager. And so I wanted to sing about that. And 
the guitar gave me um, a good tool by which to accompany myself in that respect. Yeah. It's very versatile in that way. And so it, it became very quickly a great way for me to express myself. Has continued to be a, a passion slash obsession. Uh, I love guitars. I can read about them all the time. I want to play anyone that I get close to. <laughs> Uh, they can be that. like old banged up guitars and super fancy high-end ones. I'm happy. I just want guitars. So you shared a couple of your different albums with me before this new one came out mm -hmm. in September. And what I loved about it, my boyfriend and I listened to both of them in his truck like all summer. And nice. I loved hearing the progression because the earlier one you gave me was like a little bit more like electronic guitar, more rock mm -hmm. and roll infused. And then it kind of transitioned over to Americana. And yeah. hearing this story of how you started playing guitar, it sounds like you've just been going with it and trying things and, and seeing what works for you and what feels good to you. Yeah, I mean, that's the nice thing about being an independent musician is there's no one telling me what to do. Yeah. Um, and I get to make my own decisions in that respect. Um, though the truth is, is I'm also very heavily influenced by who I'm collaborating with. Um, mm -hmm. And a good, like my first, my first album is actually a really good example of that in that I, um, I decided to record that album uh, at a friend's studio, my friend Aaron Madsen, um, who is himself a, a very accomplished electric guitar player. And I initially walked in with, I'm going to record this little album of solo, just me and my guitar and nothing else. <laughs> and um, we were able to knock all of that out in like two days and it went way faster than we expected. Oh, wow. And we we're like, well, why don't we try some other things? And so we brought some other people in to work on, you know, drums or bass. And then I started playing guitar solos and Aaron kept coming in. Aaron's got a, a is he's got some great guitars to play with, and he kept handing me these amazing instruments and being like, "Why don't you try this one?" <laughs> and so suddenly we ended up working together. Um, this album that was gonna take like a couple of days ended up taking an entire year. Oh my god! Um, and it was largely just because like I really enjoyed spending time with him, and I really loved working with him, and yeah. I loved um, you know fleshing out these songs that I had written. And, and came out the other end with this very big rock and roll album. Yeah. Uh, it was a lot of fun to make and, and I'm still proud of it. Um, it is, it's great. It, it, it does. Be. Yeah, it sounds, it's definitely not the same as what I sound like today. Mm -hmm. um, but that's actually where the, the, the name Weekends the Madhouse came from the fact the album was called Madhouse Studios. Or sorry, the, the studio was called Madhouse Studios. Um, okay. And uh, I would go there on the weekends. And, and it was really as much about, like I ended up, I'm still very good friends with Aaron and though he does not, he no longer runs the Madhouse. Um, we still talk on a regular basis. He's one of the people I'm, I consider one of my major allies in music and I'm, mm. I'm regularly communicating with him in that respect. And similar things have kind of come up along the way, whether I'm working with Aaron or with other people that I tend to walk in the studio with the things that I have, you know, I've, I've written the music and I, I've kind of created a skeleton, if you will. But I'm rarely doing things at this point that are just me. Like I, I like having the sound of an ensemble, whether it's a rock band or a string quartet or whatever. And the truth is like, if I could play those instruments as well as I want them to sound, then I'd do it myself. <laughs> uh, but I can't, I, you know, I'm, I'm very good at a particular set of things and I'm bringing other people in to be the experts in something. Right. And while I can offer them guidance about what I have in mind, um, nine times out of 10, they'll come in and they'll say, well, I've been trying this thing out and they'll play it. And I'll be like, yeah, that sounds amazing. Let's do that. And so the truth is, I think it's, it's really good to like rely on the expertise of the people around me. Absolutely. 
and that really helps craft something you know it really fills out the sound in ways and can completely change you know the way that a, a, an album gets navigated because you know ideas build upon one another um and it's for the same reason that, like i'll walk into the studio being like this is the song i'm putting all my chips on this song and then the whole album's over and i'm like oh i like that one <laughs> Um, because again, it's got a whole new character because there's new people on it. I feel like you were giving me a good transition there. You were talking about collaborating with other people. And I want to share a little bit about some of the other acts that you have performed with, because I know you and have worked with you as a solo act. And that's for the most part, what we're talking about here. But I think people are going to also know you from bands like Poor Man's Whiskey. Are there others that I'm not aware of that you've played with? Yeah, well, one of my uh, one of my close friends is my buddy Grover Anderson, um, and he and I have done um, duo work. Uh, he also has this, so he often performs as Grover Anderson in the Lampaliers, um, and I have played with the Lampaliers as well. They're a great band. Um, they're all based up in the foothills of California, and that's actually who I was playing with for the most part uh, before I joined up with Poor Man's Whiskey. And I still play with them when I can, though my my schedule now has kept me busy enough that I don't get to do that as often as I would like. I mean, I've been in bands since I was I think I was in my first band when I was like 13 years old. And uh, if you've been doing this as long as I have, there's bands that they come and go. Some of them last for years. Some of them last for minutes. Right. <laughs> it's, and so is that maybe work. a piece of why you've built your own solo act? Is I mean, is it kind of just like out of resilience or maybe just something that you enjoy more or? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I really do enjoy collaborating with other people. Um, but I often found that I'm, I'm so focused on writing my own music and everything. And it's very easy. The nice thing about performing under my own name is that I can assemble a band and I've, I've got great musicians I can work with when I need to do the Jimbo Scott band. But also at the end of the day, I can I can go and do something on my own. Years ago, when I was kind of in a I was in a transitional period of sorts, I sat down with a mentor and I realized that a lot of what was going on with me was I had this belief that I couldn't I couldn't do it by myself, that I had to have people around me. And my mentor was like, that's not really true and you need to build some confidence about that and she really encouraged me to start playing by myself and really you know start you know kind of start over from scratch in that respect it started with me going to open mics and just getting used to being one person one mic mm -hmm. and then booking gigs and some of them were like multiple hour gigs where again it was one person one mic wow i can still do that you know i can i can play by myself in the corner of a room for four hours if somebody needs me to do that <laughs> it's not as fun as playing with other people for yeah. sure but the other thing that i've realized now is that like because i've got the confidence that i know how to to, to do a show on my own it's kind of it, bringing other people into it becomes icing on the cake and that I'm not dependent upon them, that we're, we're really doing more collaboration and, and putting something together that's really, you know, hopefully becomes more than the sum of its parts. Yeah, and just feeling confident in what you're adding to that collaboration. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Absolutely. Well, you know, you performed solo at Live at Lakeview the first time mm -hmm. we worked together, and that is not an easy crowd to get the attention of as a solo act. We very rarely have just solo acts for that reason but you did a phenomenal job and Thanks. hearing the story of, of what you went through to get there completely makes sense. Um, <laughs> and now I'm curious, like when did you meet with that mentor? How long ago was that? Oh goodness. I think that was around 2011. So nearly eight years ago. Awesome. It's a, uh, she's a woman named Melanie Damore. She's a, an amazing musician. Uh, she's 
I, I she was actually my chorus director in junior high school. Oh, cool. Um, but I've stayed in touch with her because she's um, she's a, a really legitimate professional. And often when I find myself at a place that I'm like, I don't quite know what the next step is. And I just want some insight from someone yeah. who knows the business, but also cares about me. Yeah. Um, I will often, in fact, right before I released the album, I met with her at a cafe in Oakland and we sat down and we listened to the whole album together on, you know, sitting on the sidewalk just because it was important to me. Like, I want this in your ears before anybody else's so that we can, you know, talk a little bit about where I'm going and what I did. And yeah, it's, it's, it's very important to have those people in your life. I think regardless of what you do, you need, you need people you trust. Totally. You can, give you insight into things and reflect back on what you're doing because when you're doing it just yourself, it's very easy to see things from one perspective only. Right. And sometimes overthink it and maybe talk yourself down or, or whatever might mm -hmm. happen. But I think that's so powerful to have someone who not only is in the business, but like you said, that knows you, that doesn't just have their own agenda of what they want or what they want to see from you. That's amazing. have a really powerful story and I think it could really help a lot of people. It's funny is I, I, I sometimes kind of struggle with the notion of, of how powerful a story it is. So I, I have two moms and uh, there's a lot of details about how the family came together. I, I My moms met when I was four years old and but pretty much from the get-go going from there we were um, we were a family. It was just you know my moms and my brother and I this was the late '80s, so at the time there weren't a whole other, there weren't a lot of other families around us that we recognized, and often we we found ourselves being the first out family in all kinds of places, whether it was schools or summer camps or wherever else. There was all different kinds of challenges that came from that, um, to you know uh, a lot of you know kind of mellow stuff of just people being curious, and even curiosity can sometimes present its challenges. Um, sure. To sometimes folks being, you know, outright intolerant. You know, fortunately, um, our family unit is super strong. Uh, we're not just an isolated group before. Like, it's a bigger family than that. And, and, and I think it's actually kind of a disservice to say that I only have two moms. I have, like, I have a lot of moms. There's a lot of women in my life who've been, you know, really, really wonderful protectors as sort and have helped raise me. Uh, my, my mom often talks about the village. Uh, and there's a, there is a real village. We, 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 we stay in touch and... Uh, we rely on one another. I love that. And and things are are different now, and it's interesting. And you know, I'm going to be 36 at the end of next month. I look around a lot, and I see other you know queer families all over the place, uh, which is super exciting. Like particularly here in the Bay Area, like this is yeah. a great place to raise a queer family. And I'm really really happy that folks are more empowered to to be their own families and to participate in um, all aspects of of life. And I think you know, kids have a way of helping kind of break through a lot of those barriers and, and yeah. bring my community into places that maybe we weren't, you know, 25, 50 years ago or wherever. But it can also be kind of hard to be a kid who's also an activist and kind of saddled with with that identity early on. Mm -hmm. And um, I've had to learn about that over the years that I, I wasn't always, I didn't always feel very good at it. Um, I didn't always make the kind of connections. I didn't always get the kind of results in communicating with people that I wanted. Uh, and then I also made some great friends and made some wonderful allies. So it's, it's, it's a complicated thing. And I still find myself dealing with it all the time that it's not, it's not something that has left my identity because I'm an adult now. Like my right. parents are still my parents. 
my values are still my values. I consider myself a lifelong activist and that hasn't changed, you know, and I still try to stay very engaged in my community, whether it's my community as I, as I consider myself part of the Bay Area's queer community um, or my community as just being a resident of the Bay Area and what it means to be, you know, in my city or however else. But I, I really do place a high value on community participation and community service. Mm-hmm. And, and recognizing that there's a lot of wonderful privileges that have enabled me to get to where I am today. And I'm grateful for those. And I want to do my best to kind of to share that and yeah. uh, to, to use what I have to help other folks reach their goals, live the life that they want to live, enjoy the rights that they ought to be afforded, those kind of things. That's beautiful. And I, I can't help but feel like there's a deep connection with the I guess, challenges you grew up with and probably the way that you had to really think about life probably from a very young age to then writing music that's so introspective and so based on your experiences. I think that it just creates a really powerful avenue for you to share that and advocate in that way. While your music doesn't exactly say the story, it just I think there's always layers that you can kind of have to peel back to see that. And so sharing this story, I, I just, I think it's amazing. It's funny is a lot of people ask me if I have a song about growing up with my family. And the truth is I've tried to write that song yeah. and it, it hasn't happened yet. Okay. Um, it, it may come one day. It, it's hard. It's hard to encapsulate all of it into like three minutes, <laughs> you know, I, I bet. Um, and, and sometimes it's easier to think about maybe one piece or another, but again, it's also making art is a, is a tremendously sensitive thing. Yeah. And so, especially if you're talking about something you're already very sensitive about and kind of bringing that vulnerability in, like it's not necessarily something that I can force yeah. um, all the time. And, uh, but I've been thinking about it more and more lately because the other thing about it is too, is like, it's a part of my identity that like, I want to share with people. Yeah. I don't, you know, I, I, I realize it's not written on my face. Right. And so I, I, I want people to know that about me because it is who I am. And obviously, if I'm, if I'm sharing my music and everything, like, I want people to know who I am. It's not always easy. <laughs> yeah. Well, it'll come to you. And I look forward to hearing that song one day because I think that's going to be really powerful for people. How do you utilize your current platform to advocate for others in your community? Like you were saying, you really enjoy doing that. What are some ways that you either currently do that or would like to? Uh, I have one coming up actually that's really, I'm very excited about. Um, so one of the new, one of the albums, or excuse me, one of the songs on the new album is my song Live Free, which is a song kind of reflecting on the history of how immigrants have been received in the United States, kind of starting with a story about kind of based off of my own family story and then looking at um, other stories that are similar. And I'm super excited that uh, on, I believe it's on December, Second, there's going to be a compilation released that is raising money for immigrants together or, or keep immigrant families together, excuse me, which is a nonprofit that's raising money to help reunify families that have been separated at the border. Um, so I'm one of, I want to say nine artists that have contributed work to this compilation. It's being put together by Whistlepig Records out in Detroit. We're releasing it on December 2nd because it's Giving Tuesday. And uh, so we want to try and encourage folks, you know, make a donation to an organization that's doing really, really important work. Yeah, that's um, amazing. And enjoy some good music at the same time, which is a great way to go about it. It's often easy when you're, when you're a songwriter to think about, you know, I'm going to write this song to make a commentary about this situation and it's going to change everything. <laughs> and that's not really how it works. 
you should write, you know, if you're compelled to write about a situation, you should do that. And you should reflect on your experience and how you are impacted by that situation and your kind of reflection on it. Uh, but recognize that what you're doing is offering a commentary. And hopefully what that can do is push a conversation and increase, you know, some discourse around it. But it's not necessarily going to radically, you know, change the world. You're not, you're not ripping open reality and, and moving the pieces around. That doesn't mean that it's not important to be doing that. I think, you know, artists have a responsibility to be paying attention to the world around them and commenting on it, whether that's a commentary that's right in line with the status quo, or if it's something that's really challenging us and making us really consider the actions that we're taking and the things that we're saying and doing. And that there's a long history of art that has been pushing those boundaries. And I'm just doing my best to be part of that artistic tradition. Hopefully, you know, me being on a compilation here will help raise a whole bunch of money for, you know, great organization doing good work. Or maybe one of my other songs just, you know, it hits someone in a way and they realize I'm not alone. There's someone else who's feeling the same thing as, as I have. All impact is important. It doesn't necessarily need to be gauged on how heavy it is. Absolutely. That's a really important message. You don't have to judge what the impact is. Just put it out there. And also like pay attention and learn from it. Like if you put something out in the world and it doesn't have the impact you want, like spend some time reflecting on why, you know, why didn't I get what I expected out of this? And am I okay with what I got out of it? Yeah. Um, Learn from that. How can you do that different? Yeah. Like uh, someone recently, a friend of mine was talking about the fact that like songs never actually have to be finished. (laughs) <laughs> right, that you can rewrite a song as many times as you want. Just because you've released it and published it doesn't mean the song is done. And so that's again, you know, if you're if you're working on something and you're trying to to take on an artistic pursuit and it lands flat or it turns out to mean something different to everybody else than it meant to you, uh, then you get to make some decisions about if you're settled with that result or if you want to take another try at it. Then maybe you try rewriting that song. Maybe you try writing a whole new song on the same subject. It's, it's the wonderful thing about the fact that we've got, you know, an entire lifetime to work on these things. You just, you keep plugging away at it until you get the result you want or until you realize there's something else you want to do. And that's especially true as an independent artist. It's something you should absolutely take advantage of. There's nobody telling you that you can't re-release the song in a better way to make a better impact or land a different way with your audience. Now I'm old and I'm making a plan to have a happy life. When the doubt starts creeping in, I can take a breath and I can remind myself that that voice is gonna cut you down. Spend your money. Heads up when he's coming around. It ain't love if it isn't for free. What tools for positivity do you utilize to direct your vibe, stay in a positive mindset? First of all, I recognize how hard that can be. It's not always easy for me to be positive. Yeah. Um, and I've struggled a lot with with all kinds of things that get me down. And, and you know, part of why I make music is because it makes me happy that it's not, not just happy in the sense of like, oh, music's fun. But like, if I'm feeling really depressed, if I'm super, super gloomy, um, sometimes it's music that lifts me out of that. I have physical pain and playing music and being on stage is the only time I don't feel any pain. Otherwise I've usually got something aching somewhere. And so music and artistic expression is a, is a really vital part of that for me. I think some of that also comes from the fact that it's about me communicating and, and connecting with other people. And for me, being closely connected with the people in my life is really, really important to me. I'm 
regularly, you know, touching base with my partner and, and staying in touch with her about how she's doing, how I'm feeling. I've got good friends I check in with on a regular basis. I'm in touch with my family. And, and having people that you can be vulnerable with and be real allows you to have the kind of support so you can really spend your energy on getting yourself, building yourself up. And then I think for me too, is like taking some time to like uh, really focus and, and exercise some gratitude and recognize that particularly right now, like 2019 has been a banner year for me. There's a lot of really great things that have happened and are going to continue to happen. And I regularly like to sit down and just kind of make that list in my mind of like, these things are really good. And I got a lot of them because I worked hard or I got a lot of them because I've got great people in my life who are helping me make it happen. Doing those kind of things, particularly again, if you're kind of fighting, if you're fighting that gloom of being able to remind yourself, like these are some things, some ways I know I'm doing it right. These are some ways I know I'm turning things around and really remind yourself of those things. Even if you had to write it out, like find a way to constantly remind yourself of those things, steer yourself away from the, it's bad and it's never going to get better um, kind of thinking. Cause I've been there. I will probably get there again one day. Um, and it's a hard place to be, but it's not, it doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be my home. Oh, that's such an important thing to note because everybody has those moments. We all have moments when we're down. That's just life. It's, it's up and down. And I like to, to think of it as waves. The main symbol for this podcast is a wave because happiness is going to come in waves. Anxiety is going to come in waves, sadness. But ultimately, as humans, we're in control of which direction that goes. And yeah. your advice with gratitude is right on point. That's something that I'm really focused on as well and like to actually write it out and kind of build up some evidence for myself that things are good. And when you focus on that, you tend to attract more of it and just kind of steer yourself in that right direction. There's Absolutely. a lot that you can gain from that. And in doing so, it's only going to make your music better. It's only going to make any project that you're working on stronger. Absolutely. Especially if you can reflect on like what, not just what has worked in the past, but why it worked. Yeah. Then that becomes things that you can try to replicate again in the future. And maybe, you know, like particularly like with music, a lot of like my evaluation comes down to I got to play gig X and I'm not always in the circumstances to exactly replicate that. But maybe I can think about like, how did I communicate with the person that booked that gig for me? Mm-hmm. What were the songs that I played on stage? What was my banter between my songs? You know, how did yeah. I plan the getting to getting home from that gig and all those things? Because there's, there's little nuggets of truth in there that you can take and you start doing them over and over again. And suddenly you're making your own success. Absolutely. That is great advice. You also mentioned in our um, setup for this interview that one of your tools for positivity is positive affirmations. I think this is another really powerful one that goes right along with gratitude, but I'm curious if you have kind of a set list of positive affirmations or if you create them specifically for what you may need when you're feeling a certain type of way. I think it's more the latter. I tend to think about responding to the negative internal messages that I've got going on at any given time that I can get really down on myself and I can really get that rumination going of just the same ugly thought over and over and over in my head. And that thought usually tends to be pretty loud and pretty clear when it comes up, figuring out what the, what the antithesis of it is and then saying, no, in fact, I am, you know, for me, like I'm a big guy. Sometimes I can get down about my body and being like, and and get that message in my head of, you know, like I'm fat, I'm ugly. No one likes the way I look and turning that around with like, no, I'm big and I'm beautiful and people like me the way I am. 
and I don't necessarily have to, I think a lot of us think about like the, the, you know, the standing in a mirror and saying it to yourself and can feel kind of hokey. And if that works for you, do it. For me, it's not so much like I don't need to look at myself doing it, but I do need to like have the activity of like taking some time and meditating on it and reminding, even if it's just me sitting there repeating it to myself over and over and over again in my brain, it doesn't mean that like that flips a switch and I immediately believe it or whatever, but it's really, really important to put, to change the song in your head, you know, and to offer something different to remind yourself so that you're not again, kind of stuck in these negative messages that can get louder and more, you know, it can weigh down on you more and more and more the more you hear them. Absolutely. That was really well said. I was just, I just shared a podcast today, actually, as we were recording this, talking about positive affirmations and trying to help teach people how to utilize them because it can feel really awkward at first. Like when you say something that's the opposite of this negative story you have in your head, it feels really untrue. Like you're just lying to yourself. But the more you say it and sit with it and meditate on it, it does really start to become your new truth and it can overpower the volume of that negative voice going on in your head. Yeah. Not to mention too, that it begins to kind of help you open up to the idea of like, okay, if I really am big and beautiful and people like me, what is it I can do to show that off? What is it I can do to really feel that and live into that? Yeah. Um, it's a whole, I, I actually find it a whole lot easier to live up to my positive affirmations than my negative ones. Yeah. Um, that, that's what, what's so great about the affirmative is there are things you can do. Whereas the negative is things that you, you know, it's often about the things you're not. Right. Just stories that you've created that aren't in fact true. That's beautiful. Okay. Last question is what advice do you have for someone who's wanting to become a singer or songwriter? and coming up into that space for themselves? Well, there's all, all kinds of things that are important with it. And one of them is obviously like practice and practice is all kinds of things, but it's mostly just like make time to do the work, whether that's sitting out and writing your lyrics, playing your instrument, singing, that's really important. And, and it doesn't have to be an incredible amount of time for some people. It's really easy to set, a, set aside, you know, one or two hours a day and work on that. For other folks, it's you know, 15, 20 minutes here and there, but they're doing it on a regular basis and they're building upon that every, every time they're doing it. So practice is really important. Finding people to collaborate with is really important. I think there's a certain amount that you gotta do by yourself. It's easier to work alone than it is to, you know, coordinating things can be really hard, but for the same reasons, you can get really, you can get tunnel vision, get really focused on your own thing. And if you find other people to work with or share your music with um, and get some reflection and feedback about that, it's going to help you hone your craft a lot. I think the other thing too, and this is really critical with music, I've seen a lot, I've had a lot of people talk to me about, I couldn't do what you do because you're a professional. And I want to push back on that. Like I have been doing this, I was doing this before I was a professional. I just, this is what I do. I make music. And there's a lot of times I'm making music not as a professional. I do it for fun. Music is, is not necessarily, like, you don't have to be a professional. You don't have to be a rock star. You don't have to be famous. You should be doing this because it makes you happy or it's filling in some, you know, it's filling in something that you need to fill with doing music or making art and getting away from those evaluations of, am I famous enough? Am I successful enough? Are enough people listening to me? Like that's going to come if you keep working at it, if you're taking time, it's, you gotta, if you stay focused on the importance of doing the work, that stuff will come in the long run. 
Absolutely. I mean, it's important to remember that anyone you think of as a professional or a rock star started from the very beginning. There's yep. There's no overnight success. You, you think it looks that way because they just popped up out of nowhere and now they're this big deal in your eyes. But there's a lot of work, perhaps years and years of work that you often don't see. And I think you hit it right, the nail right on the head of saying that practice and being consistent with your practice. That's going to yeah. create a compound effect that's going to make you continue to get better and better. And that's the only way to reach the goal. I think the other thing with it too is, and, and this might sound a little bit trite, but it's like, it's important to make sure that you're finding ways to have fun with all of it. Yes. Um, that some, some of what I do in music is not fun. Like I don't like booking shows. That's work. <laughs> um, that's part of being a professional, you know? Yeah. And sometimes practicing cannot be a whole lot of fun. Playing the same scale over and over again can be really boring. But finding ways to make those things fun or at least finding time to work on things that are fun to offset the stuff that isn't so fun is really important because that really helps motivate you. That if you're, if you're seeing the value in it, if you're getting something out of it, you're going to want to keep doing it over and over again. Again, spending that time of evaluating like, Am I getting what I need out of the work I'm doing here? If the answer is yes, keep doing it. If the answer is no, change it up. Try something different. Maybe it's a different instrument. Maybe it's a different kind of art. Maybe it's different people you're working with. There's fortunately, again, if you don't have a boss over you telling you how you have to do it and where you have to be doing it, then it's up to you. That is so well said. It's all really beautiful advice. I feel like this whole interview is just jam-packed with little nuggets of gold. And I know it's going to inspire a lot of people. I'm really excited to have people get to know you better. I'm going to direct everybody to go download your new album, Where the Heart Is. Thank you. And uh, again, early congratulations because you've got a baby on the way. I got a baby on the way. This may come out while the baby's being born. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, we're we're expecting any day now, and it's uh, it is my na- it is my next great adventure. I have I have no idea what it is I'm embarking upon, but I'm really excited. Oh, I'm excited to see this unfold for you. Thank you again for being here. Heads up when he's coming around. It ain't love if it isn't for free. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Director Vibe Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Take a screenshot and tag me in your Instagram stories and leave a review on iTunes. All of those little actions really help to spread the good word. Make sure you go listen to Jimbo Scott's latest album, Where the Heart Is. And if you're on the West Coast, you better catch him at a live show near you soon. Keep your vibes high and we'll talk soon. Spend your money.